Welcome to Humanly Possible, a vlog and podcast series focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. Hi, I'm Angela, an organizational psychologist working to transform organizations into destinations for attracting, engaging, and developing resilient and energized employees. In a time where the human-centric workplace and human potential is paving the way for the future of work, Humanly Possible is an actionable space for extraordinary humans to share how they are reinventing the world of work. So join me and other growth-minded executives, founders, and leaders who are changing their industries and communities by putting people first. For our first episode of Humanly Possible, we're joined by Kim Sullivan, Concentric's Chief People Officer. Join the conversation as we discuss the criticality of customized leadership and how the future of work is closer than we think. All right. Hi, Kim. How you doing? Hi. How are you, Angela? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So welcome to the Humanly Possible podcast and blog. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Kim? Sure. I am, I guess, where to start. So I'm, I'll tell you, I always start with the personal. I'm a mother of four. I'm married. I'm a native Texan, also known as a Southerner. I, um, I'm based in Houston, Texas right now. And so I tell everyone that I got stuck after stuck in Houston. But but just from a personal, a professional perspective, I have spent my career working for, um, I'm an, an HR professional or business professional with HR expertise. I spent my career working for large, typically large organizations, Fortune 50 companies. And uh, having the, and I've been very fortunate to have worked for, you know, had different types of roles in organizations that were always going through some type of transformation, whether it was growth or turnaround or integration. And based on that, I've had an opportunity to do some really fun work. And so now I've worked with Concentric, for Concentric. I get to lead a, a pool of about 1,500 HR professionals around in 41 different countries. And we're very focused on employee experience work, culture work, work that I know that you're passionate about. And, uh, and growth, you know, how to support org an organization growing, but also, you know, a, an organization that is going through a lot of change based on the global pandemic and all the all of the other disruptions in the world. Yeah, that's, that's a, a yeah, that's a perfect segue to my next question, which, you know, I think you're you're realizing that there is a transformation happening, and it's COVID has kind of accelerated it. But what do you think is really important for organizations of the future to possess in order to thrive in this next stage of what we're calling future of work? I think, yeah, I, I've been on lots of calls and I've had lots of conversations with people about the future of work. And, and frankly, the future of work is here based on all of the research and the information that was out there. And it's a couple of things that there are a few things that are really important. One, if you think about experience, so, you know, you and I worked for Walgreens and we talked about customer experience all the time. Mm -hmm. And one is how do we create an experience, an employee experience for, for employees, whether it's a team member or staff, whatever you call them. But how do you create that from end to end? And it's not just about working remotely. Some people will work remotely, but it's really about blended experiences. And so I think it's being mindful of the fact that people like that flexibility. 
some people really enjoy working at home. Some people need the interaction, come into work and they need those interactions and they need it because of innovation or sometimes you just want to talk to your friends or your work friends and your colleagues. I think it, it, is all, it also involves ensuring that we are engaging with each other and talking and having the right touch points rather than being so for, formal because you know, I've heard lots of people talk about how they start their Zoom calls with a picture. They have conversations like conversation. They're, you know, you've heard of quarantinis and all sorts of Zoom mm -hmm. parties. But what, what that all means is that it can't just be work all the time. So we have to bring the human interaction. Those human in interactions are really important as well. And then technology is absolutely key to making all of these things come together. So you have to have a seamless onboarding process. And technology helps you digitalize or digitize the, those processes. And, and um, it's being less formal. So one example of that in some industries and some organizations have already done that. It's eliminating the big annual performance review, but just really having regular touch points so that to ensure that everyone's on the same page. And, but, it, but through that process, you're building and maintaining strong relationships with the people that you, with whom you work. And so I, I think the future of work is less formality, still structure and process in the right way, less formality, uh, really thinking about outcomes and engagement being an outcome through those experiences or through those moments that matter and using the use of technology to simplify work and to simplify processes and then ensuring that you have, you are doing the work and using your, all of those tools to make sure your relationship, building relationships and having the right connections with people. Yeah, no, that that's brilliant. I think one of the other things I heard was about choice. You know, Absolutely. there's there's such a broad range of uh, team members or staff, and I think what we're realizing is that one size doesn't fit all, Absolutely. And, that, and that choice is really a huge driver of engagement. So you know, having infrastructure, you know, the sandbox to play in, but at the end of the day, giving team members choice and empowering them, empowering them to make the right choices. Yeah. Which, um, you know, speaking of differences and diversity, you know, that this is a topic that uh, is at top of mind for many people around, you know, how do we actualize what, you know, many people have many different names for it, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, a culture of inclusivity, but, um, what role does equity and inclusion play in the way you manage your business and with your business partners? I know it, it, for me, I, and I think about this constantly because I have a diversity and inclusion strategy. I have a culture strategy, but it really has to be a culture grant. It, it has to be part of your culture work. For some organizations, it's really about a cultural transformation, but you have to connect the dots between diversity, which is the representation, representation piece, so we all should, you know, we want to value and encourage different people who look different, have different philosophies and different thought processes and different experience, life experiences to come into the organization. And then, and, and you do that through recruiting, you do that through training, you do that through conversations, you do that through being very deliberate about development. And then the equity and inclusion piece is ensuring that you have processes, practices, policies that enable how you want people to behave, to, to interact, to collaborate, to communicate, 
and that inclusion piece is really ensuring that you're doing all of these things from a systematic systemic perspective and and at the end of the day i feel like i really belong and i feel connected to this organization because i get you angela and you get me and you're okay that i may speak a certain way or look differently or have had a different experience but to answer your question at the end of the day it has to be an integrated and connected process and and i you know it can't be i think you know and i, I again i think constantly about how do i make how do I ensure that I'm driving the right outcomes in terms of behavioral change, but also results when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? But it cannot be this programmatic, kind of feel very programmatic. It has to be embedded in everything that we do. And so that's that's kind of the way that you know I am leading the work within my organization and the way that I think about it. Yeah, that's so true because you know you can roll out a strategy in a nice PowerPoint and not land the plane <laughs> you know you not land not land the work and i think there's a huge accountability factor to that too um so how do you i mean you talked a lot a lot about what you are doing but are you thinking about what you need to actually dismantle um in the workplace to enable a highly diverse um talented workforce Absolutely. You know, I think there are a couple of things. One, it is dismantling. We, as leaders, we make talent decisions every day about our team, which we should. We should be enabled to do that. But also, but when you're being deliberate about wanting to see different representation, when that representation needs to be to match the organization that, you know, the communities that we serve or the countries that we work in, the populations that we serve, then you have to dismantle that way of thinking, first of all, and even probably the process that you may have used for, for years, and maybe it was successful in, in terms of finding the talent, but it may not be successful in terms of ensuring that you have a diverse pool of talent. Mm -hmm. And so we're dismantling some of those talent processes by ensuring that we have diverse slates of candidates. But even thinking, you know, it's, it's also behavior and thought process. So we're just having to, to challenge and influence leaders to think in a different way to dismantle you know, the approach that they've used. And some other things, you know, and then it's some of those real basic things like policies and practices and, and processes, so looking at those to ensure that we really are walking the walk and talking the talk. We don't want to be on social media talking about how we do all of these great things, but then you, you know, our employees go, yeah, that's not my experience. That hasn't been my experience. I also, we, we've been having some tough conversations. I've been doing that with my team and the HR team, because there's always kind of this assumption that HR folks are automatically driving those conversations. And that's not true because if, you know, it's, if you don't know, you know, one that I heard someone say once that if your network, if your personal network isn't diverse, then you don't know how to come to work and drive and create a, a, a diverse network mm -hmm. either. And so being mindful that meeting people where they are, but also being mindful that there's a lot of education that has to take place, but the education has to be accompanied with action. It can't just be, you know, training on unconscious bias. Right. Training. Like you need, to, that's good awareness, but we need to also like, let's be actionable and what are we doing from that perspective? And that goes back to, I think, what you, your strategy on building it into culture, right? And yes. assuming the values of the organization and the behavior change and, you know, that takes time. It's not just right. instant. Yeah. 
And you talked about the role of HR and how you see your, your role and your team's role. Tell me a little bit about um, the role of your HR department. You know, do they have a hand in transforming the organization? You know, would you consider your HR department more traditional, more transformational, and why? I think so. I, absolutely 100% as HR professionals, as business professionals with culture, talent, and people expertise, we mm -hmm. absolutely are required and I expect our HR team to be involved in those transformations. And, and you know, we have a mix. So we have some people, our, our model is more traditional. Mm -hmm. We have different six different regions. And so um, from that perspective, we kind of, you know, very autonomous within the regions. And so, but we have an opportunity and we recognize and we're working together as a team around tra transforming our, our function by moving some of the transactional work to a more shared services team. So we're doing that. And at the same time, we're building, redesigning our HR business partner role to ensure that we are able, we have the time, our HR business partners have the time, the focus, the tools, and the development and the support to drive and focus on broader things like diversity, equity, inclusion, like talent planning, like uh, really thinking strategically about change and impact and behavior change and leadership effectiveness. And so we're, we're you know, we're transforming. I, I don't, you know, I will say this, I don't feel like I inherited a broken HR team, but we definitely have opportunities to show up better, show up differently. And, and really at the end of the day, think about our employee experience from end to end and how that connects to diversity, equity, inclusion, and the outcomes that we want to drive as an organization and culture. Awesome. Well, we talked a lot about the employee experience, uh, diversity, equity, uh, culture of inclusion. Um, let's talk a little bit about organizational health. So, you know, I think when I think about organizational health, I think about the system as a whole and culture being such a huge driver of that. But uh, how is, um, how are you measuring that within your organization and who's responsible, responsible for it ultimately? Well, that's funny. It's funny you asked me that because I've been thinking about organizational health, I think. So we use it, we have an employee engagement survey, which is pretty standard, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of organizations have. But I, I've been thinking about how do we start to, as we improve employee experience and we have more of an emphasis and we invest more around culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion, how do we measure that? So we'll probably redesign our employee engagement survey to focus more on organizational health. Who is accountable and who should be re uh, required to drive that? I think we all are, certainly all of the senior leaders should absolutely, uh, because it's about how do we want people to behave? How do you, how do we want our leaders to show up? What are, are we saying the right things and doing the right things? The other part of that, I think in addition to that, but we also, it's our employees as well. We should be engaging our employees and helping them understand what it really means to be a healthy organization. So it means providing clarity, being very transparent in our communications. When we say we're gonna do something, we commit to it and we do it. And if we can't do it, then we say that too. We're, we're transparent around, about that. When, you know, it, it's also in the SLAs, you know, making commitments to say, when you inquire about your paycheck, we make sure that we get back to you and we provide the right response to you. And so that's where that experience piece comes into play. And constantly looking at our processes to ensure that it is all about what we say on the website and what we say as an organization 
that we commit to and that we believe in. And, and through those, through all of that, that's where the systemic pieces come into place. But when you look at it as a system, mm. then you definitely will drive and create a more healthy organization. Yeah, and I, I think it's also putting some onus on everybody to create that employee experience, right? So yeah. you can, again, you can create programs all day, but if you're not being clear about what behaviors, what does it mean to have a good employee experience and oh, by the way, every single person in the organization is a client of each other's, you know, we're all internal clients to each other and we have a hand in creating that experience. Absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned leadership, which I think is such a a linchpin for all things culture, all things organizational health. You know, we know that we can't get things done without the support and advocacy of leadership and truly the investment and dedication from that team. So what is the standard for leadership at your organization? How do you know when somebody's a good leader? Well, that's, that's the, well, I'll say we need to do work around that, but we do have competencies that lay out what are those leadership behaviors. We also have nine culture statements, which are really, which were created in partnership with all 225,000 staff across the organization. But it, and, and, and then we have an operating model that really says, here's how we work. We work with velocity. We are, mm-hmm. visibility is important. And so through those, we use our culture statements as one way to measure behavior. So are you being, you know, are you demonstrating integrity? Are you showing exemplary character? Are you communicating with transparency? Are you moving at velocity and not creating bureaucratic processes that slow people down? Are you being fair and fanatical about both making the right decisions that that would say we are being fanatical about staff mm. and and our um, and clients? And so that's really what we use as our test and our measure of success to determine whether or not you're being successful uh, as a leader. And when you're when you're not demonstrating those behaviors, then our culture said there's a very well known within our culture that you call someone out and say, hey, you're not demonstrating. The, what, the way in which we, we have committed, the commitments that we've, said, we've made, mm-hmm. and you're not demonstrating those culture statements. So you need to, you know, address that. That's, that's really yeah. what, you know, that's the way we drive mm-hmm. that leadership behavior focus. Yeah, the account of, again, the accountability piece is so it's key. Accountability. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And what about, you, you know, those those behaviors, you know, it sounds like those are really, they're always a little aspirational, right? Because you're yeah. you're working towards it's it's the, the the standard as to which you're hiring and developing and grooming emerging leaders. Um, what's your philosophy on leadership, and do you feel like it's born or is it groomed? I think both. But some people, and and I say I can say this. It's funny. I was thinking about this not too long ago, like last week. But some some people are born just natural, being natural connectors, natural Mm -hmm. communicators. They are emotionally intelligent. I have an eight-year-old and I tell my husband all the time, he's so emotionally intelligent. He really is like, he picks up how people are feeling. He observes things. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I have another kid who I'm like, you miss none of that. You know, (laughs) you you read some books on that. And so um, I, I think it's both, but and some people just naturally know how to keep people informed and stay connected. And they're all about the relationship and, and engaging with people. But then I think, and I think there are more people, but the, there are more people 
that need formal development, mm. coaching, education around what it means to be a leader and how you show up. And we've been in HR and I've been in HR for a long time. I'm way older than you, but you know, you meet people and you say, well, when do you have a one-on-one -on -one with your team? And they're like, okay, I never <laughs> talk to my team. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, performance review and you're like, why do you not engage with your team? You know, why do you not talk to your team? What's the cadence? And, and people that never have things like town halls and gatherings where you come together, you talk about strategy and even, you know, not giving people, being transparent with feedback. How many times do you take on a team or you, you know, you take on someone and you give them, fee give them feedback. I've experienced this many times and they act as if that was the first time they've ever heard feedback because their manager isn't transparent with them. So I, I definitely think that there are, there's a population of people who are born leaders, but I mm -hmm. think the majority of folks have to require development, coaching. They need good examples of what leadership looks like. Oftentimes we have lots of bad examples of what leaders look like. And you have to be, at, at least my personal preference, I, I, I also consider myself a continuous learner, but my philosophy is that you have to be a student of leadership to really be a good leader. And you have to really understand what are the things that drive people? What are the things that motivate people? What are the things that really, you know, are important to your people, your team? And when you master those things like clarity, being really clear about what their jobs are, the expectations of them, you know, being clear about painting that, that, you know, the outcomes which you want, but you're not micromanaging how they get there. And, and those are things that I've had to learn along the way. So I know that was a long response. I can talk all day about that. No, about all the bad managers that I've had to coach over the years. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes we, you're right. Sometimes we do, we develop our own leadership based on what we see and Absolutely. What we see as not being good leadership, right? So that's also a learning moment. Uh, and I totally, I totally agree with you that it's a lifelong, it's a uh, lifelong. journey. You know, you're always perfecting and honing and you know, from a human human experience perspective, you're constantly learning about how you can adjust your style and uh, be more adaptable, uh, but also help others succeed and use tactics like one-on-ones engaging with your team to pull the best out of people in the best way. Yeah. I'm always amazed by when I meet leaders, and typically they're more senior leaders who say things like, "Well, I, I'm I'm developed. Like I'm as I'm." A, Right. you know I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm good and you're like well I didn't say you had to go through a training but, right. but you should still be a, a student of leadership and people and connecting with people and motivating and then the other comment that people have often made that surprised me too is um well their VPs they should know that oh okay well that's not how the world works right there yes. wouldn't be a multi-billion dollar industry around leadership development if people just knew so we assume, Very true. we assume capability based on job level. And that is absolutely, and think about how people got into those roles, right time, right place, friends, trustworthy. Yes. No. Okay, it's just you. <laughs> right, right, exactly. There's nobody else. But right, that's, exactly. that's so true. You know, a lot of times people are promoted because they're really great at their jobs, not that absolutely. they're really great at leadership, which is a absolutely. totally different. A totally different topic, absolutely. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think, and this kind of goes back to the um, kind of social responsibility, um, what, 
what do you what kind of responsibility do you think leaders need to have outside of the organization do you do you see a place for leadership to uh, also lead outside of the organization within their communities absolutely i, I in fact you know working at a previous healthcare company one of the one of the reasons i went to work there is because of the investment and the commitment that the organization makes within the community i think for me personally you know, as a, a, a black girl who grew up in a community, I didn't have a lot of money. You know, I had a mother who, you know, always exposed us to her children, her five children to museums and, you know, opera and symphony and all sorts of arts, you know, fine arts experiences. And so I grew up at least knowing about those things and being exposed to, you know, museums as an example. But I think, Absolutely, as, as business professionals, we should be involved in the community. You know, someone was saying you can't be what you can't see, right? And so it's important for women, for girls, for children to see women, strong, very intelligent women, not just people on TV. It's important for young boys to see men who look like them. You know, and I think about black men in particular, I'm a mother of three boys married to a black man. It's important for uh, those young boys to see, you know, those examples. But I think regardless of where you're from or what race or ethnicity you are, community involvement is, is definitely important. And we can do so much. And also you learn, it's kind of like, you know, when you work in a corporate role and you go out and visit the field and you say, you find out what's really going on, it's the right. same thing in terms of engaging with the community. And, and you find out what are the issues that really impact people. And what are the and how can I in this corporate role or whatever your position is? And you don't have to be the CEO or the CHRO. You can be a manager or right. whatever, an analyst. But you can change a person's life, life, and you can make an impact by involving yourself in the community. So I, I love organizations that focus on volunteerism. I think that's absolutely important because mm -hmm. that, and through those experiences, you truly can change lives. Yeah, and I think to your point. Uh, you can have a VP who is uh, very uh, low on the leadership spectrum, you know, when it comes to behaviorally. And then you can have an analyst within the organization who is stepping up, leading their team, driving key outcomes, uh, you know, being a sounding board for people within across their team, cross-functionally, be, being a leader within their community. And so I think we have to get away from this idea that your title indicates that you're a leader and there's so much opportunity to lead internally and externally. Absolutely, no doubt. And kind of a similar question, but I guess based more so on your, you know, your business's um, customers, how do you think the health of the organization factors into the health of the customer experience? So, you know, we talked about the community as kind of a a receiver of the benefits of the leadership within your organization, but how do you think those two that's connected to also the customer experience? Well, I, I will tell you, I work for a customer, a company that our, our fundamental reason for being in business is to improve customer experience. And we're in a people business. So we supply people and services and support mm -hmm. to different companies around the world. And so we absolutely, the health of our organization, the engagement level of our staff, the, the policies, the practices, our commitments that we make, all directly tie back to, organically tie back to, to our customers and our clients. 
And so that is why, and, and which is exactly why we've included in one of our nine culture statements that we have to be fanatical about both staff and our clients because there is a direct connection. And, and you know, you know, having worked in service industries, there's always conversation about when- Oh, hey, Austin. When, um, there's Austin. <laughs> there is always a conversation, a connection about when you take care of staff, Mm-hmm. When you do all of the things to improve your staff experience, you automatically, in turn, improve your customer experience. So there, there is a direct connection there. When you have happy employees who are excited and understand the role they play in an organization, they may not always be the highest paid, but they understand how they contribute and how they make a difference through the work they do every day. They, in turn, will have just that at just as much pride as the CEO does in terms of improving the customer experience. Love it, love it. Well, I have one more question for you. Um, okay. Before we wrap up, of course, you know, we'll, we'll talk about any closing comments you have, but uh, what kind of future of work business book do you think is needed right now? And, um, you know, what's gonna be really important for us to lead businesses into the future of work and growing organizations to the next stage of growth. What kind of business book do you want to see or hear from um, that's different than what's out there today, right? Because there's a lot of business books and so many podcasts and blogs. Right. What do you want to hear about? That's actually a really good question. I I think one where we are much more candid about what that, um, what work, what the future of work really means. And so, and what I mean by that, so it's my eight-year-old who is, you know, <laughs> the doing remote learning. One. Right, exactly. Who's doing remote learning outside my door while I'm on a Zoom call. And understanding that as I'm a parent and I'm a working parent, and, and that needs to be, there. we are truly integrating work. So we talk about, you know, back in the day, or some people talk about work-life balance. There's no balance. It has to be integration. Mm-hmm. I think helping people cope with what that looks like. And I've had so many people, Angela, so many women and men say, thank you so much. Thank you for like allowing Austin to walk in the back and Mm -hmm. forth. And I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, you'll probably see him or hear him at some point. Right, but that is is my reality and I make no apologies for it. Mm -hmm. I think the other piece part of that is understanding that, and some organizations have been doing this, but allowing people to work where, wherever, and so it may be Costa Rica or you may be in DC, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you enable that, those folks to be, to do good work, to be productive because you have the tools, the technology and the trust to ensure that they're going to be productive and deliver on their work. But hey, they may take, they may start at 12 that day. They may end at, you know, 10 that night or whatever their, their work schedule is, but you enable them to do that from a trustworthy perspective. Definitely the investment of, in technology. I was going to say something else. So just understanding, and I know we always talk about millennials want certain things and the baby boomers want certain things, but the reality is at the end of the day, we all want, we want to be able to do really good work, right? We want to be able to have great experiences and connections with the people that we work with. Flexibility is important. Like I've always said, I don't mind working in an office, but I, and I need flexibility because of my lifestyle, because of my family. And that's important. And I, and so, you know, so if I want to leave at two because I need to come home and cook because I have to go to a, a kid's football game, 
that's fine because I don't mind coming back and working again later that night after we get back at 7 p.m. But I but that is important to me. And so it's really understanding what your employee needs are and being flexible enough to enable to make all of those things happen. You know, so I, I recently got feedback from a working mother that said, you know, it would be great if we had split shifts. So I can come in in the morning mm. and I can work. I, you know, my kid is at school, I pick him up and then I don't mind coming back later that night. And I thought, you know, when I was in college, actually my first job, uh, I, my first job was a regional recruiter position. That was my first professional HR job. And I had, I was able to do that. So I, my boss nice. supported me. I'd go to class in the morning or sometimes mm-hmm. I come in in the morning, I go to class and come back. And that's, that is why, you know, honestly, that's why I'm sitting here today. And so I think understanding that people have different lifestyles, different needs, different expectations, I have three millennial children and they do have very high expectations. Like they all want to travel with no money. So, but even at, they, they all talk about where they're traveling. Like we're planning a trip. I'm like, you all are literally all in college and don't have any money. Yeah. But they, they all plan trips, but, but those are, you know, that flexibility and mm-hmm. that ability to do that. So PTO is important to them. Mm-hmm. And, and so understanding what the needs are for your populations, your employees, how you now not everybody has a job where they can you know work from Brazil or Costa Rica but understanding that you know what are the things that I can do to support my staff so they really will be engaged and they'll do their you know, nothing but a hundred percent to provide a great customer experience. Yeah and I think that's really the difference between management and leadership is asking Absolutely. the question and knowing yeah. the human and that you know, no one human is different. And it's, it's really important, like you said, to engage. Engaging, That's where yeah. you're really going to understand what drives people, what motivates people, and how you can get the best outcomes from that person. Yeah, I have to keep thinking about that question, because that was a really good question. I, I forgot to say, the other thing is thinking about well being, particularly mental health and wellness, I am so inspired. And so and I just have tons of ideas about mental health and wellness, because that's an area that we just haven't talked talked about enough. And I, I love that organizations are investing in that, uh, particularly also in the you know, Black community that there is, there's a need to focus on that and, and lots of communities, but I'm Black, so I can say mm-hmm. that. And, um, but, but I think thinking about also how mental health and wellness or how full well-being really yeah. you know, integrates in that employee experience or the future of work is really important as well. So, yeah, yeah. so I go on and on about that topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we talk about it all the time. So yeah. you know, I, I always think about how are you creating, you know, I think about when I go home, go home, you know, we're in a virtual <laughs> environment now, but when you disconnect from your laptop or right. you're leaving the office or the plant or wherever you are, you know, are you sending off a happier, more fulfilled human being? Or are you sending that person home who's frustrated and um, disenchanted by the experience they've had for that day? Like, that's what I always think about is what kind of human are we sending home? Frustrated human or happy human? I like that. that. And that impacts the family unit, that impacts the community. I think we have such a big responsibility to impact that experience. So yeah, I like that. I'm going to start thinking about, I'm going to ask the same question. I'll borrow that from you. Yeah, no, take it. Take it. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Your your leadership is inspiring. And um, thank you for being my good friend and my coach. 
and my uh, therapist at times, <laughs> all the above. <laughs> You're wonderful. Thank you for, for helping me out with this.